What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Who was then a nursing mother and holding her babe in her arms as her husband went down. Mrs. Nash, the elder, gazed for a moment speechless at the spot where her son had sunk, and then fell upon her knees, the whole family following her example, and prayed fervently to Almighty God for deliverance from their awful danger. Then, rising from her kneeling posture, she bade her other son make one more trial to reach the boat. Peter Nash and his son Daniel then plunged into the water, reached the boat, and took the oars, but the force of the current was such that they could make by rowing but little headway against it. The two daughters then leaped into the flood, and in a few strokes reached and entered the boat. By their united force it was brought up and safely moored to the chimney of the cabin. In two trips the family were conveyed to the hillside. Then the brave girls returned, and brought away a boatload of household gear. Not content with that, they rowed to the submerged boat, and, diving down, cut the rope, bailed out the water, and, in company with their mother, father, and brother, brought away all the movables in the upper stories of the house. Their courage appeared to have been rewarded in another way, since the house stood through the flood, and in ten days they were assisting to tear down the house, and build another on a hill where the floods never came. As soldiers fall in battle, so in the struggles and hardships of border life, the delicate frame of woman often succumbs, leaving the partner of her toils to mourn her loss and meet the onset of life alone. Such a loss necessarily implies more than when it occurs in the comfortable homes of refined life, since it removes at once a loving wife, a companion in solitude, and an efficient co-worker in the severe tasks incident to life in frontier settlements. Sometimes the husband's career is broken off when he loses his wife under such circumstances, and he gives up both hope and effort. About sixty years since, and while the rich prairies of Indiana began to be viewed as a promised land of the adventurous pioneer, among the emigrants who were attracted thither by the golden dreams of happiness and fortune, was a Mr. H., a young man from an eastern city, who came accompanied by his newly married wife, a dark-eyed girl of nineteen. Leaving his bride at one of the westernmost frontier settlements, he pushed on in search of a favorable location for their new home. Near the present town of Lafayette, he found a tract which pleased his eye, and promised abundant harvests, and after his wife had been brought to view it, and expressed her satisfaction and delight at the happy choice he had made, the site was selected, and the house was built. They moved into their prairie home in the first flush of summer. Their cabin was built upon a knoll and faced the south. Sitting at the door at eventide, they contemplated a prospect of unrivaled beauty. The sun-bright soil remained still in its primeval greatness and magnificence, unchecked by human hands, covered with flowers, protected and watched by the eye of the sun. The days were glorious, the sky of the brightest blue, the sun of the purest gold, and the air full of vitality. But calm, and the air full of vitality, but calm, 
and there, in that brilliant light, stretched itself far, far out into the infinite, as far as the eye could see, an ocean-like extent, the waves of which were sunflowers, asters, and gentians, nodding and beckoning in the wind, as if inviting millions of beings to the festival set out on the rich table of the earth. Mrs. H. was an impressible woman with poetic tastes, and a strong admiration for the beauty in nature, and as she gazed upon the glorious expanse, her whole face lighted up and glowed with pleasure. Here she thought was the paradise of which she had long dreamed. As the summer advanced, a plenteous harvest promised to reward the labors of her husband. Nature was bounteous and smiling in all her aspects, and the young wife toiled faithfully and patiently to make her rough house a pleasant home for her husband. She had been reared like him amid the luxuries of an eastern city, and her hands had never been trained to work. But the influences of nature around her, and the almost idolatrous love which she cherished for her husband, cheered and sweetened the homely toils of her prairie life. Eight months sped happily and prosperously away. The winter had been mild, and open, and spring had come with its temperate breezes, telling of another summer of brightness and beauty. Soon after the middle of April in that year commenced an extraordinary series of storms. They occurred daily, and sometimes twice a day, accompanied by the most vivid lightning and awful peals of thunder. The rain poured down in a deluge until it seemed as if another flood was coming to purify the earth. For more than sixty days those terrible scenes recurred, and blighted the whole face of the country for miles around the lonely cabin. The prairies, saturated with moisture, refused any longer to drink up the showers. Every hollow, and even the slightest depression, became a stagnant pool. And when the rain ceased, and the sun came out with the heat of the summer solstice, it engendered pestilence, which rose from the green plain that smiled beneath him, and stalked resistless among the dwellers throughout that vast expanse. Of all the widely isolated and remote cabins which sent their smoke curling into the dank morning air of the region thereabouts, there was not one in which disease was not already raging with fearful malignity. Doctors or hired nurses there were none. Each stricken household was forced to battle single-handed with the destroyer, who dealt his blows stealthily, suddenly, and, alas, too often effectually. The news of the dreadful visitation soon reached the family of Mr. H., and for a period they were in a fearful suspense. They were surrounded by the same malarial influences that had made such havoc among their neighbors, and why should they escape? They were living directly over a noisome cesspool. Their cellar was filled with water which could not be drained away, nor would the saturated earth drink it up. Centuries of vegetable accumulations forming the rich mold in which the cellar was dug gave out their emanations to the water, and the fiery rays of the sun made the mixture a decoction whose steams were laden with death. There was no escape unless they abandoned their house, and this they were reluctant to do, hoping that the disease would pass by them. But this was a vain hope. In a few days Mr. H. was prostrated by the fever. Mrs. H. had preserved her courage and energy till now, but her impressible nature began to yield before the onset of this new danger. Her life had been sunny and carefree from a child. Her new home had till recently been the realization of her dreams of happiness, but the loss of her husband would destroy at once every fair prospect for the future. 
All that a loving wife could do as a nurse or watcher or doctress was done by her. But long before her husband had turned the sharp corner between death and life, Mrs. H. was attacked and both lay helpless, dependent upon the care of their only hired man. Neighbors whose hearts had been made tender and sympathetic by their own bereavements came from their far-off cabins, and for several weeks watched beside their bedside. The attack of the wife commenced with a fever, which continued till after the birth of her child. For three days longer she lingered in pain, sinking slowly till the last great change came. And Mr. H., now convalescent, saw her eyes closed forever. The first time he left the house was to follow the remains of his wife and child to their last resting place, beneath an arbor of boughs which her own hands had tended. We cannot describe the grief of that bereaved husband. His very appearance was that of one who had emerged from the tomb. Sickness had blanched his dark face to a ghastly hue, and drawn great furrows in his cheeks, which were immovable, and as if chiseled in granite. During his sickness he had seen little of her before she was stricken down, for his mind was clouded. When the light of reason dawned, he was faintly conscious that she lay near him suffering, first from the fever, and then from woman's greatest pain and trial, but that he was unable to soothe and comfort her, and finally that her last hours were hours of intense agony, which she could not alleviate. He was as one in a trance. A confused consciousness of his terrible loss slowly took possession of him. When at length his weakened intellect comprehended the truth with all its sad surrounding, a great cloud of desolation settled down over his whole life. That cloud, sad to say, never lifted. As he stood by the open grave, he lifted the lid, gazed long and intently on that sweet, pale face, bent and kissed the marble brow, and as the mother and child were lowered into the grave, he turned away a broken-hearted man. End of chapter 2